So today I want to uh, talk to you about uh, brought near by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I don't deal or don't um, talk to the girls about what they sing and how, you know, what songs they choose. So I was really surprised to see today when, I, when I'm the, the song, um, yeah, by the blood of the Lamb. And um, I, I thought God is actually in this. He's actually helping us to, to get this. And I, and I, I hadn't, didn't have a lot of time this week to because there's lots of going on in my life. I didn't get a lot of time to prepare for this Sunday sermon until late last night and towards Friday and Saturday, you know. And the passage of Scripture that we're dealing with is quite a large, sizable passage. It's got so much in it. it first of all, it talks about, the in chapter 2, it talks about the fact that we've been brought near by the blood of Christ to the, the commonwealth of God, you know. And then it talks about the fact that we were once Gentiles and alienated and that, uh, that, um, that he has become for us a peace now. He has brought us together uh, like the Gentiles and the Jews were always fighting. Now he, he became their peace and he talks about the fact that we have peace now because of him he's our peace and that we have a life we can build on him. He's the cornerstone. And I, you know, I did a series on the cornerstone um, some years ago that went for years and years and years, just on that idea, the corner, uh, that the building upon the the cornerstone of Jesus and the fact that uh, the apostles and the prophets, you know, building with them. And we did a long series on that. So there's so much in this passage of scripture, and I sat, I think, for a while just thinking, what is it you want me to actually say from this? Because so, there's so much here. I can talk about the Prince of Peace, and I can talk about the pa- way we keep and maintain peace in our lives, and go through all of that. Because we go through tumultuous times, and we need to how, how to stand in the peace of God. And He kept on bringing me back to being brought near by His blood. So I want to deal with that today there is more in this passage of scripture and that's the problem with the the word of god isn't it it's so deep it is so rich it is so full you can take just a couple of verses and 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 just go for a long long time just digging out the the beauties that are there so uh, here we are we're going to read from verse 11 therefore remember that you were once gentiles in the flesh who who were called uncircumcision by the what is called the circumcision made in the flesh of hand by hands and that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. <clears throat> and now in Christ Jesus, you ha- who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In this passage of scripture, the thing that sort of dawned on me when I was reading this and I, and I saw the fact that we have all experienced this place of alienation. We have many in the fellowship here who know very acutely what it's like to be an alien in a land, to be a refugee, to be um, cut off from any sense of ownership or belongingness. I only need to walk around Woodridge a little while and and, and those streets around there and, and see how much of that really affects people's lives. Most of us uh, have come from a different place, um, but... Some of us have found it's okay here because we're in white Australia with white Australians and we kind of feel like we belong. But, you know, that's not common for all of us. Some of, if you were, I were to take all the white Australians out of here and I'd take you into the middle of Africa and dump you there and say, okay, now just sit down and just live here now in Africa. You would suddenly feel what our African brothers and sisters are feeling when they come to Australia. 
that sense of alienation, that sense of um, detachment, the, the not belonging, uh, you know, not understanding. You know, when we talk about idioms, you know, I can say you kick the bucket, and and the African folk here don't understand what I'm saying when I say kick the bucket. You understand what I say when I say kick the bucket. You mean you know, he's died? He kicked the bucket, but. Idioms and, and the things, the way we talk, all those things tend to alienate people. And so we can get alienated, really alienated, you know, when we think about how we live in our location now and the cultures that are around us. And sometimes we just get so self-absorbed with where we're at and what we're doing, we don't get to really think about what it's like for so many people around us, so many people in our community. But here in this passage of Scripture, I love the way that Paul just it's sort of like a universal leap and it comes to him and says you were all alienated at one time now if I sat down and said listen what can you tell me about the Jewish covenants and the and the feasts of the Jews what can you tell me about um, the promises that were given to the Jewish people how many people could stand up and give me a, a, a good hour speech about all the apart from those who know these things how many people know about all the things of Israel Where they come from? Who's the father of Israel? Abraham. You know where he lived before that. You know, Ur of Chaldees. A couple of his might know a few things, but generally, this. Uh, uh, what? How many feasts are in the in, in the Jewish feasts? Seven. <laughs> okay, you know, we've got a couple of theological students here. Yeah, but you know, you, you've studied it, and you. When you've been pastoring and stuff like that, you've studied those stuff. But, you know, the other, we are all alienated from it because we're Gentiles. Say to your neighbor, hi, I'm a Gentile. I'm proud of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, hi, I'm a Gentile and I'm proud of it. You know, what's a Gentile? <laughs> well, a Gentile is a person who's not a Jew. <laughs> Everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And if you're not a Jew... Paul is saying to us in this passage of scripture, he says that you've been alienated. You don't know what the depth of God's blessing is for the Jews. They were chosen people. God gave them this huge amount of promises. He, he put the covenants in place for them. He, he, he did everything for them. And you can go and study the Old Testament and you can dig it all out. And you can find it all and see how amazing it is, the things that God had provided for his people. And yeah, his people were meant to be a light and a witness to us and bring the Gentiles in. They missed it, they become insular and they become self-centered. And, and the Gentiles were held on the outside, they had, weren't allowed to get near to this whole thing, you know. And so the Gentiles were alienated. They had no hope and they were out without God. And they felt that acutely. There was a wall inside the temple, which was called the, the wall of petition. And on the outside of that wall, you had to stay if you're a Gentile. But the Jews were allowed to go inside. The Gentiles had to stay out. There was a, like a party. It was like they were separated. It was like there was an alienation. And here, we get a picture of God and we get a picture of Jesus. And he's saying, you know what? I don't like that exclusiveness. I don't like the way that is. I don't like what's happening here. You know what? I'm going to take this very seriously. I'm going to get really serious about this. And I'm going to show you by what I'm going to do that I want you to be together. I don't want you to be separated and alienated. And he showed us by his blood. And when we see the blood of Jesus... We see how serious God is about bringing things together, not separating things. When you see the blood of Jesus, you know that Jesus stands up in heaven and says, you know, that's enough. Now I'm getting serious, deadly serious. 
So when you see and you hear about the blood of Jesus, you know the sort of seriousness that is taking place. They said that the blood of Jesus, in one thing I read, was an idiom for willing to do the will of God. A Jewish idiom. I don't know whether it's true. I don't have any historical thought. But it, it was clear that Jesus in the garden willed to do the will of God before he suffered and died. He says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. He did not want to die. He did not want to suffer. He did not, in his flesh, want to embrace this. But his spirit was willing the will of God, and so he shed his blood on our behalf. That's how serious he was. He took this very seriously. And so we are told here that we were once alienated from Christ and alienated from Israel. We didn't know what God was doing with Israel. But then because Jesus got serious, he shed his blood. He brought us near. He brought us in. He brought us close to the whole thing. We read the next passage in from 14, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. That's that wall of petition we were talking about. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hatred that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So he's going to make peace. He's going to bring these raging fighting groups together, these culturally different, diverse groups together. You know, he started with the Gentiles and he, and he connected them to the Jews and he's not stopped because his house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. He's not stopped in bringing the nations together. His whole idea is about we ought to live together and learn to love one another in spite of where we come from in the world. You know, there is nothing so diverse that it can't be united by Jesus. He breaks down every partition, every wall of division, and he brings and makes peace because he brings peace. He is our peace. He becomes the peace, the agreement by which we can stand. You know, if there's anything, we shouldn't be sitting there and talking about what our cultural differences are. We should be talking about what our commonalities are in Jesus because we all have one faith. We all have one faith in Jesus. And Jesus is our Lord. He is our Master. And he did this in verse 16 that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or the hatred. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And we read the next verse. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So he's brought us into one household. One of the things that I, I think is ex extraordinary is we often we, we, we lose sight of the, the fact that, that we are one family because of the color of our skins or because of the background of our culture. It's very difficult for us at times to think, you know, are we that connected? Am I that connected that, that mum is really my sister in the Lord? That you really are one with me? We come from such diverse backgrounds. Can we really feel a sense of togetherness in Christ? You know, there's lots and lots of things going around in the world that distract us, our own difficulties, our dealing with things that are around us. We say, can we really experience what it is to be one with one another, to be together and one family? Well, when we've got Jesus at the center of our life, he becomes the source of our unity. 
not the divisions or the cultural differences or all the ideas that we have that are diverse and he becomes the center. We have so much in him, we don't need to talk about the differences. We need to talk about what our commonalities are and get on with it, you know? And learn to live like Jesus wants us to live on earth, like he wants to live us, us to live in heaven. Amen? So we become members of the one household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was the part in, in building... Uh, back then in the old it was a it was a huge stone they they laid it down it had to be perfectly in place it had to be perfectly level it defined the extremities of the building and it also defined the plum or the 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 level of the building going up if it wasn't laid correctly because they didn't have mortar in those days to make the difference they they'd laid stone upon stone stone so that it had to be laid perfectly level so that the stones coming up would be laid level as well because you couldn't build on a, a if, you, if it's slightly leaning in, of course, by the time it got up this high, the, the wall was leaning in and it would fall over. So it had to be perfect. The cornerstone had to be perfect. And Jesus is the co- perfect cornerstone on which we can all build. Amen? He is the perfect cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God in his spirit. So God, God is living here in the spirit and we are the dwelling place of him because we have jesus as the, as the center now i want to talk to you about the blood the blood so much is spoken about the blood and the word of god and 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 we tend to i suppose in our thinkers just when we talk about the blood i remember back in in, in um, theological college we had a big debate was it the blood or was it this death which one was it? Was it the blood or was it his death? Can we plead the blood or is, do, we, do we stand in, the, in, in his death? What is it? The blood or the death? And we, we argued about words like that. Silly, hey? Because, I mean, the blood is the thing that comes from his death. It was semantics. But we have something in the blood of the lamb. But when was the last time you prayed thinking about the blood of the lamb when you thought about the blood of jesus and what the blood of jesus can do for your life when was the last time you sat down and thought the blood of jesus is over my life the blood of jesus has provided something when was the last time you thought that through i want to just take you through and tell you what the scripture tells you about the blood today first of all it tells us that we are redeemed by the blood it's the blood that bought us the Bible says uh, in First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now the word redemption or the word redeem means to buy back. It, the, the picture it would have it, it's um, Martin Stan up here with me, you know, Say maybe we're in a slaving camp now. You know, take us back a couple of hundred years ago, back into Africa. Okay, you're back into Africa. Here she's a she's an African princess from some tribe, you know, and she's been kidnapped by some whitey, and he's brought her to the thing, and now she's standing on the block, and she's going to be sold as a slave. That's not a nice thought, is it? No, and it's real because you you know that's what they, that's actually what happened. Those. Now what they they would do. If you could come up with the money to buy her, you could have her. 
Now, if a father was there and he was a wealthy man, and maybe he had some freedom or something, he came and says, I want this, this is my daughter, he'd have to come up with the, the money. If he came up with the money, then he could redeem her. He could buy her back so that she could be free again. And that's what redemption is. It's purchasing something that was enslaved, purchasing it back for himself. Thank you. Is that okay? Scary. Don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> so that's the idea of redemption. So there's a redemption price. We're all in slavery. Who, who are we enslaved to? Sorry? The devil. The devil's controlling us. He's, he, we were under his control. We, we found in, in the first verses of this passage, of ch- this chapter, that we were all controlled by the evil, evil one when we lived in this world. He was controlling us. We were slaves to him. There needed to be a redemption that takes place. And what was the redemption that took place? When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, the blood was the price of redemption. The devil didn't know that that was going to be the price that would redeem us. Had he known that, he would never have crucified the, the Lord of glory, it tells us in 2 Corinthians. In, in Corinthians. He would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Was it 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's where the 2 is. In 1 Corinthians, he would never have done it. But when he slew him and when the blood was poured out, as soon as the blood was poured out, there was an offering that could be taken that would be redeeming for us. The blood set us free. Now you think about what you're enslaved with in life. You think about the things that habitually enslave you. You think about your way of life, the way you get going, the the way the thoughts that get trapped and you get trapped in this circle and you go spiraling down. The things that start to obsess your mind and then you start getting caught in some ritualistic way of doing things or some habit that you want to break. That's a slavery. That's the thing that holds you enslaved. You know what? The blood of Jesus broke that. Whether you believe that or not, it doesn't really matter. The blood of Jesus broke that thing the chain has been broken you are set free now listen to me this is okay conceptually I can think about that yeah the blood of Jesus frees me but listen when you're standing there and the temptation is hitting you and you feel the temptation one of the things you ought to think is the blood of Jesus right now sets me free from this thing That blood is so powerful, it breaks the chains of slavery, redeems us from the pit, and brings us back into sonship with, Jesus, with God. The blood of Jesus. Jesus says, you know, they are so far from me. They are enslaved. I'm deadly serious about this. I'm so deadly serious, they've got to be free. I'm going to bring them near. You know what the price for that, to bring them near Jesus is? It doesn't matter what the price is. I've had enough of them being far. I want to bring them near. And the chains that are holding them, I'm going to break them now. And he shed his blood to break the chains, to set us free. I want to spend some time and think about that. Those habits, those little niggly habits that you have. That try and deceive you to think that you're just caught in some little hole and you can't get out of it. You want to apply the blood of Jesus to those chains and you'll see those chains break in Jesus' name. Amen? What else do we have in the blood? We have cleansing. It's the best cleansing. Jen and I have 
folk over on Tuesday night and we, we have a big meal and we have a carpet in the lounge room. If you're building a house, never put carpet in your lounge room. Always put polished wood floors. Jenny used to say to me all the time, who was the fool that said put f- material on the floor and then walk on it with shoes? I mean, crazy idea carpet, isn't it, darling? So we put carpet down there. And, of course, we have little children who eat yellow curry and red curry and orange juice and everything. And, of course, you know where it, it doesn't end up on the plate. It ends up on the floor, on the carpet, the beige carpet. Well, it happened a long, long time ago. When we first started having people over at a place, we had little girls that was about this high, Jenna Barnes. Remember her? And she, she came with Fanta. So we had a little, little spot, which was Jenna's spot, which was orange, because she could never get the orange out. Well, now we have another orange piece over the other side. Just to let you know when you come, you'll see the orange patches. That's okay. Now, we treasure those. We can't get anything out. Can't, we don't know what to do to get the stain out. Maybe you can help me. It doesn't bother me. The stain doesn't bother me. But this is. Jesus' blood is the best stain remover I know. It cleanses our lives. Seriously. I don't know what you've done in your life coming up to this point of time. But I think that some of us have, have done a lot of things that we're probably ashamed about. You could probably sit down and, and, and you could close your eyes and I'd say, now think about the thing that you're most embarrassed about and you'd have something straight away in there. Like, the, like if you really knew me, if you knew what I was really thinking, you wouldn't like me, Mark. That's just our own sense of, you know, terrible. You know, we, we, we are ashamed about the things that we have done in life, the things that we've thought in life, the things that, you know, and we live with a sense of dirt on our lives continuously. But the Bible says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son, Christ Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. I sat with a, I sat with a, a, a mate of mine, and he was a Roman Catholic, and he, and he was saying, you know, we, we need to have purgatory, Mark. I said, why do we need to have purgatory? He said, we need to have purgatory, he says, because we can't get it all clean. We can't get our lives clean enough now. We've got to go to purgatory, and, and the fire cleanses us. In purgatory, hell's fire, purgatory. We sit there for a few million years, and it cleanses us. All the stuff that we couldn't get out when we were on earth, we couldn't clean up by our good works all the stuff that was left laying over there we've got to go to purgatory and burn it all off so that when after purgatory we'll come out clean I said well what about the blood of Jesus that makes us clean from all sins what's that about oh no no you've got to go to purgatory this is not purgatory stuff this is the blood of Jesus it's more powerful than purgatory it has the ability to cleanse us from everything that defiles the flesh we stand before him and we think, God, my mind is so filthy. My actions have not pleased you. He says, I know, but I am tired of you being far away. I am tired of you being far away. I'm serious about you getting close. I'm going to shed my blood because it will clean you now. And he comes and he stands and sheds his blood so that we can have fellowship with him, with one another and with him. Clean, no stains on this boy. You know, you might know me from before and you might know things I've done from before. But you know what? Jesus' blood avails for me. He cleanses me. Past, present and future. His eternal blood avails for me. And it avails for you. 
You don't need to point at somebody and say, well, I know what you're about. You don't know anything. You know nothing because Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sins. And I'm glad about that because I can stand here today with a whole lot of white and clean people on the inside, washed white, whiter than snow, because Jesus' blood has done that. We were crimson and he shed his blood and he made us white as snow inside, cleansed, took all the stains out, no stains left. Amen? What else does his blood do for us? It's forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, it said in the Old Testament, there is no forgiveness of sins. You can't have any forgiveness unless there's a price being paid for it. You sin, you break the law, then judgment must come. The fact that God is a holy God and he's a righteous God and he's impeccable in his character, he will not sort of condone sin, means that he must punish that which is sinful. He must, out of his holiness, out of his eternal holiness, he must punish that which is sinful. If he waves an eye and says, no, I can't, I'll let you off, he immediately corrupts himself. So he must punish sin. If he lets it go, it ceases to be sin. If it is sinful, he must punish it. If we've all sinned, then we must be punished for our sin. Then he says, well, I want to save you. Well, I have to deal with the punishment for sin. I can't forgive you and I got blood to put on the mercy seat. So in the, in the ark, there was, a, there was a seat in the saddle with the angels that stood over it and that was the mercy seat. They would kill the animal. They would take the blood from the animal after they'd taken a perfect little animal, a little lamb or a bull or whatever. They'd take it and they'd bring it into the holiest of holies. And there between the cherubim, they would pour the blood or sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat. You couldn't have mercy or forgiveness until the blood was applied to the mercy seat. That blood said, someone died for the sin that you committed. The only way that you could be forgiven is somebody else took the punishment for it. Jesus says, I'm so tired of you being far away. I'm so tired of you being so distant from me. I'm so tired of not having fellowship with you. You know what? I'm taking this seriously. So seriously, I'm going to bleed for you. And that blood is sprinkled upon the eternal mercy seat. And that's the only basis by which we can have forgiveness. The blood of Jesus. It's there availing When God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin that we've committed. He forgives it because he sees the price that was paid on the mercy seat. The blood is there on the mercy seat. He says, because the blood is there, I can forgive you. Because somebody paid the price. I punished it. I punished the sin on someone else. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, 7. What else do we have? Sanctification. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 says, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Now the word sanctification is an interesting word. It means to be set apart. So if I were to sanctify something, I have to set it apart for some particular purpose. Israel was sanctified or set apart to be God's holy people, to be God's special people. They were set apart. They were told not to intermarry with anybody, not to give their sons and their daughters to the the people in in Deuteronomy that were the Hittites, the Hivites, the Gergeshites. They were not to intermarry with them. They were to maintain their separateness. 
from among them, he said. Be separate from them. Remain holy. You had to maintain your sanctification. We are told in the New Testament to be holy as he is holy, to be sanctified. And we're told that the only reason that we can be sanctified is because of his blood. His blood sanctifies us. That means because he shed his blood, because he poured his blood into his life, that purchase, that thing that he did, he said, set us apart from everybody else. It was like, we can go through life, we're like everybody else. And then he died and he shed his blood. And that blood said, you're marked now. We gave our lives to him and that blood covered us. And when that blood covered us, it set us apart. You know, it's a crazy thing. How how can you live in the world and be in the world and of the world when you are covered with the blood? You can't be. You can't be worldly and covered with the blood because the blood separates you, it sanctifies you, it cuts you out from. Uh, In my mind, I'm thinking about a guy who's got... um, a herd of sheep, you know, and he's looking through the herd of sheep and he, and, and he wants to get, you know, maybe a, a certain number out. He, he'll cut them out. He'll send the dogs in to cut them out, take them out of that herd, you know, in Australian's mentality, you know. Go around, go around, bring them back, bring them back, bring them, around, 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 and bring them out. He'll sanctify, set them apart. Now, they may be his breeding flock. If the farmer decides to do that, those sheep have been sanctified. That's it. They've been set apart. That's the idea of sanctification. You've been set apart. You need to understand that, that that was something that Jesus took very seriously. And you know that he's taken it seriously because he's connected to his blood. He says, this is how seriously I'm taking it. I'm going to bleed for that. I've sanctified you. So what does that work like work out in our lives? How does that work out in our lives? Well, it means this, this, if you don't live set apart, if you live like everybody else, then you're actually doing something to the blood. You know, it says in Hebrews ten that we have to be very careful the way we treat the blood, that we don't trample underfoot the blood. That's, you know, if we've been sanctified, set apart, and I think, you know, I don't care what Jesus did to actually bring me back to himself, to bring me back into this fold, to bring me back, to separate me from the world. I'm just going to go out there and play with the world. When you do that, because you're covered with the blood, you're actually walking on his blood like it meant nothing. You're trampling the blood of the lamb. That's not a good look. Seriously, that's not a good look. That means, Jesus, you died I'll do my own thing. It's not a good look. It doesn't bode well for you when you do that. Don't trample on the blood. Sanctification means that you set yourself apart. You can be in the world, but you cannot think like the world. You can be working in the world, but you cannot be working for the things that the world is working for. 
Your whole purpose is different when you've been born of God. When you're, when you're a child of God and you've been set apart, you know what the main aim of your life is? To please Him, the one in which you've been renewed with. You, you want to please Him. It's not about getting a job and it's not about having the money. It's not about getting a house and it's not about raising your kids so they've got an education. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about pleasing the Master whom you serve, the one who redeemed you, the one who cleansed you, the one who forgave you, the one who now sanctified you by His blood. That's what it's about. It's not about your career and your life and your future. It's about Him. What does He want you to do in life? That's what the blood does. It separates you completely from everything else. The blood's all over you. You're covered with the blood. Jesus says, I'm so sick of you being far away. I'm going to get serious about this. And He shed His blood. What else? We're justified. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 to 9 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So God's wrath is coming upon all those who are wicked, all those who are doing wrong things. God says that the wrath of God is coming on those evildoers. But we've been saved. The blood of Jesus has come to us and we have accepted him as personal saviour. And so now he justifies us. Now the word justifies is easy to remember. Say you sinned. And in your sinning, you did something that maimed you. You got one arm. That was a maiming thing that happened because of your sin. In the spirit I'm talking about, okay? When Jesus saved you and forgave you and he cleansed you, when he justified you, he made it as though you had never sinned. Think about that. Just as if I had never sinned, justified. That's what the meaning of the word is, justified. We've got a lot of girls here who wish they'd never done the things that they'd done when they were younger in their young life. Spoiled my life, messed it up before I got married, you know. When Jesus comes and saves you, he justifies you. You might have thought you lost your virginity when you were young and fooling around. Listen to me. When you come back to Jesus, he justifies you. You're spiritually made virgin again. Get your head around that. Get your head around that. I'll tell you a story. You heard it before. Some of you have heard it before. I led a lady to the Lord in, in, in Blue Mountains when we were pioneering a church in the Blue Mountains. Her name was Trish. And she, she, she was about 41 years old, and Jen and I talked to her, and she, she was really troubled with her life. She'd been to church a couple of times, and the conviction of God had been on her life. And I said, you know, you need to give your, your heart to Jesus. And she said, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. So she gave her heart to Jesus. I said, okay, and we prayed together. And I said, okay, now Jesus has cleansed you. And now you, you know, let's go. She came back a week later and she came to my office and she was so cross with me, angry, very angry with me. I said, well, why are you so angry with me, Trish? She says, you've made me feel so guilty. I said, well, what have I done to make you feel guilty? She says, you made me feel so guilty. She says, on Wednesday, well, I, we'd prayed for her probably on the Friday before and then there's the weekend, and then there's the Wednesday. On Wednesday night, she used, had this little thing. She'd go and visit a friend, a boyfriend down the road, and they would have this uh, mutual agreement on Wednesday night was their night, if you know what I mean. 
So she'd gone on Wednesday night and she'd gone to him and they'd, they'd had their night, you know. And then she came back and she said she felt so dirty and so felt so unclean and she felt so guilty. I said, when was the last time that you felt so unclean and so dirty and so guilty? She said, she's flattening. she's 41, she's flashing back now. She said, it was when I was 40, when I lost my virginity, when I was 14 years old. 14. I said, so God gives you back your virginity. He cleanses your conscience that lead to death to serve a living God. He makes you clean on the inside, just like a virgin, just clean on the inside, just gives it all back to you, purity of heart, gives it all back to you, and you don't like that? I don't want that, she says. I want to be able to do my own thing. See, Jesus' blood has the ability to justify you. He can make it as if you've never sinned. He can justify you. He can cleanse you on the inside. You don't have to stand there feeling like you're guilty for something that you've lived in the past. Jesus cleanses it and makes it clean, and he makes it new, like it had never sinned before. Walk in the purity he gives you right now through the blood of Jesus. Get that. Follow that through. A lot of you just live in regret and you say, you know, come to Jesus with your baggage. What's wrong with your leg? What's the ball and chain I'm dragging with me? Why are you dragging that ball and chain with you? Oh, because the stuff that I've done in life. Well, why? If Jesus justified you, he made it as though you had never sinned. Walk freely now. Well, that's easy for you to say, Mark. You don't have to live with your thought. My thought I have to live with my own. But this is the blood of Jesus does something if you get it into your head and start to understand the magnificent blood of Jesus, what it does for us. Oh, the blood of Jesus makes us as if we had never sinned before. Think that through. Dwell on that. Just muse that in your quiet times when you're thinking about God's great love. He said, I'm so tired of you being distant from me, so tired of you being far away from me. You know what? I'm going to get serious about this now. I'm going to stand up and get serious about it. I'm going to bleed for you. That's going to make a difference. Our lives should just be echoing a an eruption of praise and adoration for a God who can restore a broken heart and bring us back to newness of life. We messed it up. We're all busted, but he brought us back and made us new. A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things have become new. Amen? That's the blood of Jesus. What else do we have in the blood of Jesus? No, she didn't. And that's the amazing thing. What happened to Trish? She said to me, I don't want this. I would rather do the other. From what I, the last thing I heard, she was entering into some sort of a cultish thing. So listen to me. Think about that. Don't walk on the blood. The blood has the power to change you. You know, some of us don't like the change. We say, we come to Jesus. Okay. And then he does the change. Changes on the inside. And then we we struggle with the difference. It's unfamiliar. Like, I've got a conscience again. So, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. You've got a conscience again? You, you, you lost your conscience before? Well, why, why is it so wrong? Now you used to say, why is this so wrong? You know, why do you all think it's so wrong? And now you're saying, you know it's wrong? You know it's wrong? You've got a conscience? Like the Spirit of God's inside of you? He's talking to you inside? Why would you think that's a hardship? 
Keep in sync with him. Keep in step with him. Walk with him. That's a good thing. You need to walk with the Spirit. You keep in touch with the Spirit. You keep in step with the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It says in Galatians. Intercession comes through the blood. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 24, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, which is, he talks about heaven, and to a city of the living God, and to heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now the blood of sprinkling, it talks about the intercession that the blood has for us. In heaven, there's only one who's got wounds. In heaven, there's only one who's bleeding. Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth. He was crucified in heaven before he was crucified on earth. Forget that. I know you can't grasp it, but that's the reality of it. He decided to redeem us before he even created us. Get your head around that. I know you can't. I can't either. That's God. But he did. He knew what it was going to cost and he was willing to make the price to bring us back after we fell. And in heaven stands Jesus and his intercession for us is there in heaven, continuously in heaven. The blood is on the mercy seat, continuously sprinkling. God's plan is that we don't sin. You've been born of God and this is that. It should be impossible for your sin if you've been born of God. This is 1 John, he tells us that. He doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to grieve God. But we do. But we do sin. At times we do sin. It says the will of God in First John chapter 2 is that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have a sacrifice. We have Jesus, the advocator, who's the propitiation for our sin, who's the sprinkling. It's there before us. As we've sinned, we come before God and say, God, forgive us. He says, I will forgive you because the blood is already there. Should we sin that grace should abound? God forbid it. No. But if you do sin, if you do sin, you know something? That the blood is sprinkled there. It's there in eternity and God has a favorable disposition toward you because he loves you. He's not about to kill you. He says, step up now and step out of that. And his grace is sufficient. His grace abounds to us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And if we do sin, the sprinkling is still there in the heavenlies. It's there. What else have we got? It's also a spiritual weapon, and I like this one. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 11, it says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I like this. This This is so neat. Then God tells us a little bit about what we're doing to help in the situation. He says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, I like that. You know why I like that? He says, Because he got serious and shed his blood, and because we can now say, Well, his blood has cleansed us. We get serious now. We get serious and we say, You know, we are not going to resist. We are not going to... Uh, submit to sin we're going to resist and shed our blood if we have to 
You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, you haven't resisted sin until the shedding of your own blood to the point of blood. Like Jesus was serious about getting you back to him. He was so serious that he was going to shed his blood. He was so serious that he would, he would get you to... Did I... What's that? We're going the wrong way. He would give you redemption and cleansing and forgiveness and sanctification, justification and intercession. He was going to give all that to you because he got serious. Now he's saying to you, you know how you can overcome... You know how you can overcome? He says, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. And don't love your life so, you know, even so much that you won't die. He says, virtually die for it. So how do I overcome by the blood of the Lamb? Now, life is full of horrible situations. And it's okay, we can feel nice on a Sunday here. But, you know, invariably, we're going to go home. We're going to turn something on and something's going to come in through the eye gate. We're going to turn something on. It's going to go through the ear gate. We're going to see somebody. They're going to touch us. We're going to feel something. We're going to be attacked by some demonic thing to try and weave us away from where we should be going in God. Some lure is going to be put out there to entice us away from God. And the thing that entices is always, you know what? I know you, a dolphin. I know you better than anybody else knows you. And you know what? You would like to do this, a dolphin. This is what you would like to do. And it's subtle. It tries to tell a dolphin what it knows about a dolphin because of her past. It doesn't tell her what she is in Christ. It tells her about what he knows about her past. It tries to deceive her so that she would gets slipped into some behavior that is wrong. Now, she's got to resist that. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. But how can she resist it? She can resist it by the blood of the lamb. But what should this show? What should she say? You know what? You know, devil, you might be talking to me now, but you don't belong to me. I belong to God. Well, I don't know about that. Why are you feeling the things that you're feeling, Adolphin, if you belong to God? How can you be feeling all those things if you belong to God? You really belong to me. No, no, says Adolphin. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's her testimony. She's overcoming now with the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony. You know, that's where we got the blood, but we don't speak the blood out. We don't say the words. We got bombarded with temptations. We just sit there, oh, life is so difficult, life is so hard. And we, get, we get hoodwinked and we get ball and chains locked up. And we, don't, we can't stand up and say, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm not going to feel condemned any longer. I'm not going to feel accused any longer. I'm going to stand up and say, the blood of Jesus has given me forgiveness. The blood of Jesus has sanctified me. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me. The blood of Jesus has set me on a new path now. Jesus' blood avails for me, and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it in the face of the devil. And the devil doesn't like to hear about the blood. He doesn't want to hear about the blood. He doesn't want to know about the blood because the blood breaks his back. We overcome by the word of our testimony. That's how we do it, friends. Jesus says, I'm so serious about your alienation from me that I brought you close. To show you how serious I am, I'm going to shed my blood for you. That was a a big step. I'm going to die for you. And the blood was shed. He says, now this blood. He picks up this bowl of blood. It's the blood of Jesus. This is what it provides you. 
It provides you redemption. Buys you out of that situation. Breaks the chains that have tied you up for so long. Gives you cleansing. It gives you forgiveness. It gives you sanctification. Gives you justification. It intercedes for you on every part of your life. And it provides for you weaponry by which you can defeat the enemy. That's how serious I am about this. And then he asks one question of you. How serious are you about it? Because there's no reason why we should wallow in the mud. There's no reason why we should abdicate our responsibility before God. There's no reason why we should go back to the junk. There's no reason why we should forget. The only reason we would be doing that is because we are not serious about it like he was serious about it. And he says, I'm so serious about this, I'm going to shed my blood. And then it says to you, how serious are you about it? Would you die for this? Like he died for you, would you die for this? Would you be pushed up against the wall and they say, a dolphin, come on, just curse God and die. Would you die for this, a dolphin? Are you that serious? Would you die for him, a dolphin? Would you? Jesus. Yes, of course you would. And one day you may have to, physically, but every day you have to daily die. You have to die. You have to die. You have to die to sin. You have to die to the deception. You have to die to the, to the condemnation. You have to die to all the stuff that comes at you. And you do that by looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, your blood avails for me. Let's stand, shall we? Now, you may have been here um, and, and sat for a while and thought, you know, this is all nice, but I don't feel this so much, you know. In my life, I've got things that are reoccurring in my mind and in my thoughts and in my dreams. They keep on going over. They keep on trying to condemn me. They keep on trying to undermine my life in God. In fact, I'm struggling to stay on top of the water, let alone, you know, get through a daily life. I, I want prayer because I need to be victorious in my Christian life. I want to pray for you today. I want to ask God to give you a sense of his blood over your life, that he's sanctified, he set you apart, and that that would guide you and keep you during the week. See, you're going to go in this world, and this world is the devil's throwing everything at you. The Bible says the devil is thrashing around because he knows his days are short. Everything's coming at you real fast, real hard. But the blood of Jesus, it covers you, covers everything about you. And you need to have that with you all the time. Now, you've got it with you, but your mind won't tell you that. Your mind will deceive you because your mind needs to be renewed. Your mind's set in the old stuff. You need to clean your mind up. So if you're having a problem with the mind, I want you to bring it to Jesus right now. You raise, raise those things up to the Lord in your mind. Bow your heads and close your eyes. You take those things that have been plaguing your mind, the condemnations and the guilt and the things that have been putting their, themselves on you or maybe there have been temptations or ideas or things that are plaguing you and you put them up now and say, Now, Jesus, I give them to you right now and the blood of Jesus takes those away right now in Jesus' name. 
Father, I pray for every person who lifts those things up to you right now. Cleanse them, Lord Jesus, right now by your precious blood. Lord, help their minds be free, Father, from those things that have so plagued them in the past, Lord Jesus. Lord, let their hearts be set on you, Father. Let the peace of God, which passes all understanding now, Lord, surround them and envelop them, Lord Jesus, the peace that you brought to us because of your blood. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.